If you've got your Bibles, take them and open them to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to continue in uh, a series that we started last week called Prayer Remix. And we're talking about um, rejuvenating or revitalizing our prayer life or um, finding new ways to uh, kind of um, think about what we're praying and how we're praying. And uh, let me just say again, I said this last week, but let me say again, my goal is not to ruin your prayer life. All right. I had some people after last week say, well, I hope you don't call on me ever to pray again. Because, uh, you know, in my mind, those things that you said are going to come up over and over again. And that's not my goal. But I will tell you that as a pastor, you are not immune to your own sermons. And so I found myself this week thinking through what I was praying. And it was almost like I had a little bell in my head. And so anytime I would begin to pray in my mind, I would think, Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. And I was just wondering if you could bless and you could be. And every time I started to say something, it was like my brain was like, "Uh oh, that's not a good one. Well, you told everybody not to say that last week. And I'll tell you where it got kind of bad was at the dinner table this week. Anybody ever kind of say the same prayers at the dinner table? Anybody ever had that happen? Okay, the rest of you are not telling the truth. That's all right. We'll talk about lying in a couple of weeks. All right. Um, in, our, in our house, I, I was getting ready. I sat down and our, our week was crazy. I don't know if your week was crazy, but our week was crazy. I mean, uh, we had one child sick on Monday. We had uh, we're playing Eli's playing baseball for the, for the first time ever. And it's fall baseball. So that means it's more relaxed, not as um, schedule intensive. So we only had two games. This week on Tuesday night and Thursday night, we had church on Wednesday. And so we had something every night. And so at our house, dinner was whatever you can find a lot of times. All right. And so I, I, we sat down for dinner, one of those hastily made dinners the other night. And uh, my uh, my mind kicked in. We need to say the blessing. And so I started to go, dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. And uh, would you bless the hands that prepared it? Which they were my hands. So that was really blessed me, which I said not to say last week. And then I said the prayer that comes out of our mouths, which was, and would you please bless this food to the nourishment of my body? Right. Now, here's the thing. I really thought about that one because of what I was eating. And sometimes... We ask the Lord to make up for our own bad choices, right? And so that particular meal was a fried bologna and cheese sandwich with a side of Cheetos. Amen? Amen. We're trying to teach our kids good eating habits is what's going on. And so, I mean, I'm, what I'm really saying is, Lord, I'm about to eat some of the unhealthiest food you could ever imagine. And I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but could you please change the molecular structure of the food? Could you turn the Cheeto into a carrot stick on the way down and bless it to the nourishment of my body? You ever say prayers that you realize you don't really mean what you're saying or even realize what you're saying? That's the purpose of this series. It's not to ruin our prayer lives. It's to invigorate it. 
Because here's what's happened in my own life. As I began to think through those things, my prayers became much more thoughtful even in the nightly routine of the dinner table. Even in the, oh, we got to pray this or the food will make us sick moments, which is not what it's about either. And my goal is that all of us, whatever we're in, wherever we are, as we're praying, we will begin to think through things in different ways so that our prayer life will become fresh and new. We talked about what remix means last week, and this is a, a, a different definition, a newer definition and it, from last week. It's, it's not newer necessarily, it's just different from last week. It's to recombine existing elements, creating a new or modified result. So it's to take all that stuff and recombine it into something different. And we talked about those five phrases that are found in a lot of prayers. And maybe not your prayers, but maybe you've heard them. And the first one was, Lord, we just want to thank you for this day. Could you bless us? Could you be with us? Could you watch over and protect us? And we talked about its cousin. Could you lead God and direct us? All right. And then we would finish off with forgive us for all our many sins. Now, again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that prayer. It's that we just say it without thinking. And we talked about that Jesus taught against that. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, he says this. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And what he says there is, when you pray, don't just say the same things you always say or try to sound as impressive as you possibly can sound. The important thing is what's coming from the heart. There's actually a part in there, and this was from last week we talked about bless us, Lord, and that we don't really need to ask the Lord to bless us because he has already blessed us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are blessed beyond anything you could ever imagine. The, the, the reason we say that is not so the Lord will say, oh, well, here's some stuff I didn't know you need, because Jesus will say, the Lord already knows what you need before you ever even think or ask for what you need. When I was a kid, I used to get caught up on this thing or where I would think, you know, the Lord knows what I'm always going to think before I ever think it. And the Lord knows that I just thought that he knows that I what I'm going to think before I ever think it. And I would just, you know, go on. But it's true. Sometimes it's like we, uh, maybe you've heard prayers um, about uh, people giving God directions. Lord, I just want to pray for Aunt Susie. You know Aunt Susie, Aunt Susie. Right now she's down at Skyline. You know Skyline, the hospital down there. That's uh, at the core right there beside... Um, Riley Parkway and Dickerson Road, you know, and she's in room four or five right now. Lord, if you would just like the Lord doesn't know where your aunt is. And it sounds silly in that way. But think about your own prayers. How many times you tell the Lord things he already knows. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to come to him with requests and that part of prayer is saying, Lord, this is what I need. This is what's on my heart. But we have to think of prayer as more than that. And we can't just keep saying the same thing. So last week we talked about the fact that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are blessed beyond anything you can imagine. And so to ask the Lord to bless you is kind of a, 
a statement that you don't have to ask because it's been done. And that the better way to kind of approach life is to say, Lord, how can I bless you today? How can I give glory and honor to your name in this situation I find myself? Today, we're going to tackle that next phrase after the bless me is be with me. Well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? I mean, I know that God talks about being with us a lot in the Bible. In fact, if you want to know the truth, it's hard to find any promise in Scripture that is stated more than the Lord's promise to be with us. If you go back to Moses' time, and uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses is there, and uh, many of you that have grown up in church or know the story, will remember the story where, where Moses is at the burning bush, and God is talking to him, and God is saying, listen Moses, this is what I need you to do. I need you, Moses, too. Go back, get my people, and bring them out of bondage. And Moses says, I can't do that, Lord. And he says, no, no, it's your job. And Moses says, well, who am I to go back to those people? And God says, don't you worry about that. All you need to know is that I will be with you. We get to Joshua chapter 1, and Joshua's getting ready to lead his people after Moses has died into the promised land. There's going to be war and conflict and battles, and, and he's getting ready to lead them in there. And he stops and says, Lord, I need some help. I need some direction. I need some help with this. And, and, and the Lord looks at him and says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then in the midst of that, he says, be strong and courageous and don't worry and all of that. Why? Because I will be with you just as I was with Moses. In Isaiah 43, the prophet Isaiah says this, When you pass through the waters, do not fear. For the Lord says, I will be with you. So in the Old Testament, time and time again, you see the Lord promising, I will be with you. You get to the New Testament. first book of the New Testament is Matthew. And Matthew could be called the Be With You Gospel. In Matthew chapter 1, it's talking about what is coming and what is about to happen. And Matthew gives this prophecy from Isaiah, but he says the virgin shall have a child and they will name him Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. You can't get more with us than God with us. And so you see the book of Matthew, things begin to happen. And you get into Matthew chapter 18 and it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then it says, and where two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there with them. Anybody ever heard that used? Lord, two or more of us are gathered in this place. We actually got eight, so we're good. So we want you to be with us. We'll talk about it in a minute. That kind of leaves, if you're by yourself, leaves you out of the equation. That's not necessarily what's meant there, but the Lord does promise His presence. And then in Matthew chapter 28, when you're getting ready and Jesus is getting ready to march off the scene, He's getting ready to ascend and He's given the great commission. He says, you are to go into all nations, preaching the good news, teaching them, baptizing them, uh, teaching them all I've done, teaching them how to commit to follow those commandments. And then He says, and lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. So you say, Pastor, see? I mean, it's there. And the Old Testament, God says, I'll be with you. And the New Testament, God says, I'll be with you. There's even a story in the Old Testament where Moses is getting ready to lead his people. And God says, y'all go ahead. And Moses says, I will not go if you are not with us. 
So what's wrong with saying, Lord, be with us, Lord, be, be part of us, Lord, we want you with us as we do this. When you get to the New Testament, there are a couple of things that change. When Jesus dies on the cross, rises again from the grave and ascends back to the Father, that changes things, right? Right? Okay, you're just kind of looking at me. That change. Otherwise, there's no reason to be here today, okay? Y'all can just go ahead and go. That changes things. And as he's getting ready to leave the earth, he gets around with all of his disciples. And he gets them out and they have a meal together, right? You remember this? They call it the Last Supper. And in John, he gives this extended conversation there. And in John 14, what he says is that they're sitting around the table and he says, I am about to go away. And they go, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> You're Emmanuel, God with us. How are you going to go away? What happens when God with us is no longer with us? And he says, but don't worry. When I go away, I'm going to send somebody and it'll be better. Anybody here ever heard somebody or said to yourself, man, I would have loved to have been around when Jesus was alive. I'd love to have been around with him, talked with him, had a conversation with him. I would have loved to see him do the miracle of the 5,000 fishes and loaves. I would have loved to have seen him walk on water. Man, those disciples are so lucky. Here's what it says in John chapter 14. Now, when I leave, it's going to be better. When I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God. And when I do, it's going to be better. Now, how in the world can it be better than walking with Jesus? I don't think the apostles, as soon as he said that, were like, oh, you're right. That's right, Jesus. You go ahead and leave. It'll be better. They're like, what do you mean? And he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And not only would the Spirit of God be with you, He will now be in you. See, you didn't understand that. Because if you understood that, you wouldn't just kind of look at me blankly. The God of all creation, the great and mighty, stronger than any one God, the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, the perfect man-God combination who died for our sins and rose again from the grave is no longer with us only he is now living in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about this last week. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. It says that when we believed, the Holy Spirit of God was set as a seal on our lives. And as that seal on our lives, and it's talking about there that it imprinted on us that this is mine. These are my children. This is my child. Lyle Larson has been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God as my son. It was a down payment on what the future would be. But the understanding is we have God living in us. Now, in Ephesians chapter three, Paul's going to pray again for these people. And what we see here is this unbelievable thought that the God of the universe is now living in us. Here's what you have to understand. 
God showing up to Moses was pretty impressive. But Moses doesn't have what you have. God showing up for Joshua. I will be with you. Pretty impressive. But Joshua didn't have what you have. When David, you, you remember Psalm 23, 4, that nice, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my God is with me. Here's the thing David couldn't say, because my God is in me. When Isaiah said, when you walk through the waters, do not fear. That, that sounds great, and it is great, but it's not what you have. When Daniel, Isaiah, the prophets talk about God being with them, it is not what you have. God's plan for being with us is to be in us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Four years ago, almost exactly, when I came to preach in view of a call at this church, this was the passage I preached out of because it is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power in your inner being through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So say, okay, what Paul is praying here, is he saying that I pray Christ will come live in you? No, what he's saying is I pray that the power of his spirit that is inside of you will begin to show the strength of his glorious riches and that Christ dwell there doesn't mean just uh, To come live. It means to have free reign. It means to set up camp. It means to have control in your hearts through fray. And I pray. This is what Paul prays for these people. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's the love of God, that's the love for one another, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how big of a deal it is that the God of the universe is residing inside of you. That's the Lyle interpretation, all right? What it says there is that it grasps how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's why praying be with me or be with us is it necessary? If you are in Christ, He is with you. If you are in Christ, He is with you. He is in you. You can't escape Him. You can't get away. You can't hide. You can't say, well, for the last two days, Lord, I have been AWOL. Could you come back and be with me now? He is with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have accepted what the Lord has done for you, then He is with you. We baptize five young men today. And those five young men, having given their heart and lives to Jesus Christ, making a commitment to do that from a sincere place, if that has happened in your life, it's happened in their life, then the Lord is with them till the end of the age. They never have to worry about asking for it. That's a big deal. I mean, in the Old Testament, the Lord 
showed his presence by showing physical manifestations of it. And so you have in the Old Testament, you have the, the story of, of Moses. Uh, they're, they're traveling out of Egypt. And what does he provide? He provides a cloud by day and a fire by night so that they can go on their way. And, and then we get to um, building some things. And God wants them to realize that his presence is with them. And they, he tells them to build this thing. And we know it today, or generations today know it as the thing that Indiana Jones went after in the first movie. Right? What was that? It was the... Ark of the Covenant, right? And the point of the Ark of the Covenant was that you had these two angel things on top and where their wings met was considered the seat of the Lord, kind of the place where God dwelled. They put that inside a tabernacle, which the word tabernacle means to dwell with or to live with. And the point was that God was living with them there. They moved that out of the tabernacle to the temple. And so in the temple, they realized that God is with them. Now, there are other ways that God showed that he was with them. He uh, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He showed himself with them by being in the fire with them. When Joshua was getting ready to go battle at Jericho, he showed up as an angel of the Lord to say, I am with you. There were places in the Old Testament where God says, let me show you I am with you. We get to the New Testament Gospels and guess what? Jesus is that physical presence, right? The physical presence of God on the earth is Jesus. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. And so Jesus is that physical presence. He is showing the world what God is like. He is describing who God is. He is teaching people about God. He is, ba- he is telling people they need to get baptized. He's telling people they need to follow Him. He's telling people how to live. He's showing them what to do by His sacrifice on the cross. And He's paying the debt for our sins in the same act. He then displays the power of God by rising and getting from the grave. Jesus is that physical presence. Do you know what God's physical presence on earth is today? It's us. We are the cloud and the fire. We are the tabernacle and the temple. Now you say, wait a minute, that's stretching a little bit. What does it say in the New Testament about our body is... The temple of the Lord. Now, before you get all excited and start go exercise, and that's not what that means, all right? That word, your body, or you are the temple of the Lord, the idea there is it is a collective group. God's people are the temple of the Lord. Here is your mind-blowing, sobering thought of the day. You are the physical representation of God in our world today. You're it. God has chosen since His Son went back to heaven for His people to be His representatives and to be His voice and to be the ones that show what He believes and how we should live. Remember what I said about Jesus? But Jesus one that showed who God was, that showed what God was like, that taught about God, that helped people to look to God. Our responsibility today is to tell people what God is like, to show them what He would be like, to point people towards Him. We are God on this planet to the people around us. Now, I didn't say you're gods, alright? There's a big distinction. But Scripture teaches that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that 
God is inside of you. Just in case we missed that, in Colossians chapter 1, you don't have to turn over there, but Colossians 1, 25 and 27, Paul talks about this great um, mystery that has been for ages, that is finally revealed and that it's revealed to us, to the Gentiles. And it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The greatest mystery that is out there is how in the world the God of the universe lives within us. You say, how does that happen, Pastor? I don't have a clue. I just know it does because Scripture teaches it. And what that means is that we need to live our lives for the glory of God as His representatives. Look at verse 20 in Ephesians chapter 3. This goes on. These are my favorite two verses in closing a prayer. Most of us, when we pray, get to the end of our prayer. We list the things that we need. We list the prayer requests that we heard about in Sunday school. We list the people that need to be healed because they're sick. We list the things that we want. And then we go, and in Jesus' name, amen. And for most people, that just means goodbye. All right? Maddie's 19 months old. Uh, She's learned what bye-bye means, okay? And so she has these little fake phones around, you know, and uh, she goes and picks, there's a little pink one that she has, and she picks it up, and she'll put it up there, and she'll go, blah, 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 bye-bye, and then she'll put it down, okay? For many of us, the, in Jesus' name, amen, is bye-bye. Notice how Paul ends his prayers. It says, now to him. He was able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to His power that is at work. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Anybody notice I skipped a couple of words? Or did you just say, that's what it says. Go ahead, Lyle. I skipped two words. And then I'll be... Because it's the words that we often skip when we think about this verse. We're like, absolutely, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God, you are able to do it. Go do it, God. Take care of it. To the Lord be the glory in what you're about to do, Lord. To Jesus and His church forever and ever. Amen. But we miss two important words in the midst of that. Paul says in Ephesians 13, I mean, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, my hope is that you'll come in contact with understanding how absolutely amazing it is that the God of the universe is now alive and well inside of you and that you would come to understand the love that He has for you, that He has given you His Spirit and His Spirit is alive inside of you. Verse 20, and when you realize that, you will give Him glory and honor and you will understand that He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Through you. Somehow, in America today, we are convinced that believers in Jesus Christ can live ordinary, lackadaisical, low-impact lives. And yet, Scripture teaches that believers in Jesus Christ have immeasurably more power Working within us. And that leads us to want to glorify Him in the church, through our actions, through what we do, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
Here's what the remix is. As you're praying this week, instead of saying, Lord, could you be with me? Maybe you give the Lord just some honor and thank Him for the fact that He dwells within you and so you don't ever have to worry about Him being with you. And then you say, and Lord, let me accurately represent who You are in situations I find myself today and with the people that I come in contact with today. Now, that's a lot to remember. It's a mouthful, so I'll give you three words, alright? Lord, live through me. Live through me. Tomorrow morning when you're waking up and you're thinking about all that your day has to offer and you're wondering about what's going to happen and feeling like, okay, what's going on today? And you know the agenda that you've got set and you say, Lord, I know I've got a meeting this morning with some people that aren't very happy with decisions that I've made. Lord, I pray that I will accurately represent who you are to them. Lord, this afternoon, I've got to make a phone call to my sister and you know there's some tension there and Lord, it needs to be resolved. And so, Lord, I pray that when I talk to my sister this afternoon, that I will accurately represent who you are to her. Lord, there's a situation coming up at school today and I don't really know how to handle it. I don't really know what's going on. Let me accurately represent who you are in that situation today. Lord, at work today, I know that it's a day when I'm walking in and there is this thing that has been kind of hanging over our heads for the last week or so. And I I don't know about what's going to happen. Lord, I pray that I would accurately represent who you are today. Lord, I am about to make a business decision that will impact my future at the company or my future at my job. And it will impact it in a great way and it will be long lasting. Lord, let me make the right decision and accurately represent who you are today. Lord, I am about to make a decision that will impact my family from this point forward. Lord, as I make that decision, let me accurately represent who you are today. Lord, live through me. I want to ask a question and I want to preface it by saying that I realize that none of us are perfect. None of us uh, are going to do right all the time. But just a question. Think about three or four people really close to you. And ask the question, if they had no other understanding of what God is like, except for the life that I lived, what would they think God is like? If you were the only person that they knew that claimed to have a relationship with the Lord, they'd never read a Bible, they didn't somehow didn't watch television preachers, which we could all pray for that sometimes to happen. But if you're it, and they know you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in God, and they say, well, if they're like Him, then that must be who He is. What would they think God is like? A different way to ask that, maybe not as personal, is how are you accurately or how accurately are you reflecting who God is in your life? This week, I don't want to ruin your prayer life, but I'm okay with if you start to pray and you start to say, Lord, bless me. Or if you say, Lord, be with me. That your mind suddenly says, wait a minute. You think through it again. And say, my desire, Lord, is to realize that you are with me 
and to show people around me who you are. 